Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. My friends, we have, we have come to the end of a long journey. The American people have spoken, and they have spoken clearly. Twelve years ago, at the Biltmore Hotel in Phoenix, Arizona, just before 11pm, John McCain stepped on stage in front of a crowd of his Republican base to concede the 2008 presidential election to Barack Obama. A little while ago, I had the honor of calling Senator Barack Obama to congratulate him... Upon saying Obama's name, loud boos could be heard. McCain's response was to raise his palms to the crowd and reject the negative chorus being directed at the new president. As he continued to explain that he had called Obama to congratulate him on becoming the next president, the boos rang out again, and again he raised his hand to quell them. In a contest as long and difficult as this campaign has been, His success alone commands my respect for his ability and perseverance. McCain went on to explain to the crowd why he thought Obama had won the election, how he had inspired so many Americans, and why he had commanded his respect. As the cameras panned across those in attendance, it showed his supporters were now listening intently. McCain had calmed the crowd. This is an historic election, and I recognize the special significance it has for African Americans. With America's troubled racial history, McCain acknowledged the huge historical significance of America electing its first black president and accepted it was of greater importance to the country than his own political ambitions. America today is a world away from the cruel and prideful bigotry of that time. There is no better evidence of this than the election of an African-American to the presidency of the United States. The camera again panned away from McCain to show a boy asleep on his dad's shoulder, and the chorus of boos had been replaced by claps and cheers. In less than two and a half minutes, he had changed the emotion of the crowd from disdain to respect for his rival and pride on what it meant for the nation. I urge all Americans who supported me to join me in not just congratulating him, but offering our next president our goodwill and earnest effort to find ways to come together, to find the necessary compromises to bridge our differences and help restore our prosperity, defend our security in a dangerous world, and leave our children and grandchildren a stronger, better country than we inherited. Whatever our differences, We are fellow Americans, and please believe me when I say no association has ever meant more to me than that. As McCain continued to urge for Americans to come together and support Obama, the crowd came with him, and when he tried to take responsibility for the defeat, they sang his name. We fought as hard as we could, and though we fell short, the failure is mine, not yours. (laughs) 
time show. After thanking his family and running mate, he rallied his supporters one last time behind the new president. Tonight, more than any night, I hold in my heart nothing but love for this country and for all its citizens. Whether they supported me or Senator Obama, I wish Godspeed to the man who was my former opponent and will be my president. And I call on all Americans, as I have often in this campaign, to not despair of our present difficulties, but to believe always in the promise and greatness of America because nothing is inevitable here. Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. Thank you and God bless you and God bless America. Thank you all very much. My name is Peter McCormack and this is Follow the Leader, part two of Chaos, a podcast series for defiance. With the media declaring Joe Biden the winner of the 2020 election, Donald Trump has thus far refused to accept the result, questioning its legitimacy. As Democrat voters celebrate, some Republican voters believe the election has been stolen, and social media is awash with accusations and arguments regarding fraud. But this election was tainted long before the voting began. Tainted by identity politics, by partisan news, by censorship, and most worryingly, the legitimacy of the democratic process has been brought into question. The chaos of this election reflects the chaos of the last four years, but how did we end up here? Has a fraud been committed on the American people? And if the courts reject Trump's lawsuits, will his supporters accept this decision? Trump's rise in the world of politics came as McCain's was coming to an end, and their style of leadership could not have been more contrasting. A few years after McCain's failed presidential bid, Trump started to publicly promote the Bertha movement, a collection of various groups who questioned Barack Obama's citizenship. It was something McCain was asked about directly at a campaign rally. I gotta ask you a question. I do not uh, believe in, I can't trust Obama. I, I, I have read about him and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. And that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. Thank you. While the birth of controversy was deemed undignified to McCain, for Trump, it was an opportunity to galvanize support. And in 2011, when Trump was considering a run for the presidency, he used it at his maiden speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference. Our current president came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. In fact, I'll go a step further. The people that went to school with him, they don't even know, they never saw him. They don't know who he is. Crazy. Trump understood that this issue could galvanize a large group of Republican supporters and he could use it to gain a powerful foothold in the Republican Party. His support continued to grow, and in one of the polls, he had 26% of the vote, nearly double that of the next candidate. 
but he wanted to up the pressure on Obama, so he put the birther movement at the centre of his campaign when he was interviewed by Anderson Cooper on CNN. I've been told very recently, Anderson, that the birth certificate is missing. I've been told that it's not there and it doesn't exist. And if that's the Who told case, you that? that's a big problem. I just heard that two days ago from somebody. From, from your investigators? or I don't want to say who, but I've been told that the birth certificate is not there, it's missing. While Anderson pushed him on his sources and told him that CNN's own investigation found no evidence for his claims, Trump responded in a fashion that would become typical of his upcoming political career, doubling down, refuting any uncertainty, but providing no evidence. The following day, the White House responded, providing copies of the long-form birth certificate to reporters and posted it online. And a visibly frustrated President Obama gave a White House press conference to kill the conspiracy. We do not have time for this kind of silliness. We got better stuff to do. I've got better stuff to do. We got big problems to solve. And I'm confident we can solve them, but we're gonna have to focus on them. Not on this. Over the next four years, Trump continued to promote the birther movement to keep himself in the media spotlight. But to date, he has not provided any update on the investigations he conducted. Then, in July 2015, he formally entered the presidential race. Now, the summer is a particularly difficult time for news media, given it has a slower news cycle, but the Trump campaign gave up plenty of entertainment that brought the viewers in. But while left-wing channels mocked his chances of winning, focusing on his outrageous claims, they missed that his support was growing with voters sick of the incumbent political elite. He received unprecedented media attention, and with ratings driving revenue, Trump was a cash cow for the major stations. Whilst there was critical press coverage of Trump, for the first half of the Republican primary campaign, his press attention was more positive than his rivals. And whilst the media framed his character failings, noting that he was bigoted, insulting, unprepared and narcissistic, this was alongside commentary that he was also strong and decisive. But once all of his rivals had withdrawn, giving Trump the presumptive nomination as the Republican candidate, there was an increase in negative media coverage and scrutiny of his candidacy, including his America First foreign policy proposal, his tax affairs and his views on women and minorities. Journalists now framed their assessment of Trump through the lens of him as a potential president rather than a jockeying candidate. But a strange thing occurred. This did not damage Trump's popularity. He had solidified a loyal base of supporters who were unswayed by the media attacks something he predicted. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. And against all odds, Trump went on to become the 45th president of the United States. It is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump. Donald Trump's character and leadership has been analysed and observed more than any president in history. And a study of his leadership style by the Department of Psychology at St John's University identified him as being a high-dominance, charismatic personality, deeming Trump as outgoing, impulsive, ambitious, exploitative, dominant and controlling. 
Written prior to his inauguration, the assessment opened a window into the potential implications for his style of leadership. The quest for power would be his prime motivation. He was not expected to be outsmarted by others. He was predicted to force decisions to be made prematurely. He would be concerned with his popular approval and he would be more pragmatic than ideological. But the most accurate forecasts were based on the limitations of his personality that would affect decision-making style and recruitment. Critically, it wasn't envisaged that Trump would seek to build agreement across the political divide to push his policy agenda through. It was expected that the Trump administration would be susceptible to errors of judgment and scandal, and that a critical press could lead to a rapid deterioration of relations and that could become openly hostile. The assessment stated that the Trump presidency personified a perilous combination of sparse political experience and the potential for a level of impulsiveness and hubris rarely, possibly never before, seen in occupants of the Oval Office. Elections are usually contested over a relatively small number of swing states. In 2016, Donald Trump managed to win the swing vote by riding a wave of anti-establishment anger. His strategy was built on a number of simple messages that resonated with voters. Drain the swamp, build the wall, and lock her up all became rallying cries for his supporters as he marched towards the presidency. Lock them. Lock them all up. And you're right about the swamp. Say it again. Right? You better believe it. Boy, that is... Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. And with Trump, the slogan which had the biggest cultural impact was Make America Great Again. And MAGA became the brand for Trumpism. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. But Trump's campaign rallies are in stark contrast to the McCain concession speech, highlighting how leadership plays a pivotal role in how supporters form their opinions. I think I was very unfairly treated. Uh, from before I even won, I was under investigation by a bunch of thieves, crooks. It was an illegal investigation. The first few days of Trump's presidency prepared us all for the post-truth era and the battle for narrative. When the press were invited to the Oval Office to meet Trump for the first time as president, a false news story was dispatched that claimed Trump had removed the bust of Martin Luther King. The reporter responsible for the story issued a quick correction and sought to send a personal apology to Trump, but the president and White House aides cited this mistake as an example of deliberately false reporting. They said the, uh, the statue, the bust of Dr. Martin Luther King was taken out of the office and uh, it was uh, never even touched. So I think it was a disgrace, but that's the way the press is. 
Very unfortunate. Not to be undone, the Trump administration used the size of his inauguration crowd to set a standard for their own truth-telling, with Trump claiming it had been the largest in history. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. These attempts to lessen the enthusiasm of the inauguration are shameful and wrong. Nielsen reported that 31 million less watched his inauguration than Obama's. Also, the White House photographer cropped the photo of the crowd to make it look bigger than it was, while Reuters' unedited photos versus Obama's show a significantly smaller crowd. The battle lines had been drawn. The Trump presidency was going to be a war of information where even objectively provable truths would be rejected. Outside of the press, his dominant leadership style and extreme confidence saw him cut through the bureaucracy of Washington and within a week of his presidency signed an executive order to implement a ban on Muslims from seven countries. This decision created the first big divide between the left and the right, and while this decision was supported by his base, it confirmed the worst fears of those on the left who viewed Trump's immigration policies as being xenophobic. It also sent a signal that his administration was going to rule by decree, rather than seeking common consent. For many, it was viewed as an aggressive move as it jarred with people's perceptions of America's role in the world, and for others, it was seen as the tough leadership the country needed. In the ensuing melee, Trump declared war on the press, and in mid-February, less than a month in, he held a press conference where he berated reporters for 77 minutes. He quickly followed this up with a tweet that stated that the nation's news media is the enemy of the American people. As predicted by the St. John's University psychological study, Trump's relations with the press had turned hostile. Apart from Fox News, who provided support for the new president, the media found themselves focusing efforts on attacking Trump at every opportunity. Missteps, whether large or small, were jumped upon by the press, with little credit given for the good things he achieved. Trump's leadership style also caused instability with the team. At the first official meeting between Trump and Obama, Obama advised him not to hire Michael Flynn, who had been advising Trump on national security issues during the campaign. Trump ignored the advice and hired Flynn as his national security advisor. But Obama's concerns were well-founded. Mike Flynn is a fine person, and I asked for his resignation. He respectfully gave it. Flynn was fired from the role within a month for lying about his contacts with senior Russian intelligence officials. This was the first of many rapid changes in personnel, an assorted collection of people with dubious backgrounds, ethical transgressions and personalities that conflicted with Trump came and went in quick succession. As a result, the turnover rate in the Trump administration set new records. All of this was again predicted by the St. John's University study of Trump's personality. Adding to the sense of confusion has been the fact that six of Trump's close associates have been criminally charged in relation to the Russia investigation, with an additional former advisor, Steve Bannon, charged with fraud related to a border wall funding campaign. All of this upheaval has resulted in further increasing press interest, particularly where the changes have been a result of ethical and legal transgressions. The result of this war with the press 
is that large parts of the media now disregard his achievements, not giving voters a full picture of his tenure. Firstly, he stood up to China and their increasingly unpopular trade practices, economic attacks and IP theft, particularly after previous administrations showed weakness on these issues. We're going to be fulfilling another campaign promise by taking firm steps to ensure that we protect the intellectual property of American companies and, very importantly, of American workers. The theft of intellectual property by foreign countries costs our nation millions of jobs and billions and billions of dollars each and every year. He refused to ignore the structural issues within large global institutions such as NATO, the EU and the WHO. I have been very, very direct with Secretary Stoltenberg and members of the Alliance in saying that NATO members must finally contribute their fair share and meet their financial obligations. Trump showed strong leadership where others had previously hesitated. He also signed the First Step Act, the most significant criminal justice reform legislation in years, reforming sentencing laws that have wrongly and disproportionately harmed the African-American community. This landmark legislation will give countless current and former prisoners a second chance at life and a new opportunity to contribute to their communities, their states and their nation. And there is a lot more. But such is the division between voters, the news media and the press, little recognition is given to his achievements by the left, while Russiagate, his impeachment and the handling of both the coronavirus and the BLM protests have dominated the press, always from the most negative angle. With both sides pitted against each other, it has ultimately led to both losing credibility. And with the media cast as the enemy, it became easier for Trump to maintain his support and present himself as the arbiter of truth. Amazing. But remember, they have the biggest, best, strongest lobbyists, and they're doing a number. Just stick with us. Don't believe the crap you see from these people, the fake news. And just remember, what you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. And I'll tell you, I have so many people that are so in favor, because we have to make our country truly great again. Remember, make America great again. Trump challenging the record of the press in presenting honest news was a welcome breath of fresh air for many, but it ultimately failed as he politicized it for his benefit. Whilst calling everything which disagrees with him as fake news, he regularly shares and retweets positive articles about him from right-wing media companies such as Breitbart despite the publication being regularly discredited for publishing misleading information. The downside to this is that there's no incentive for Breitbart to be objective with Trump when he tweets their articles out to his 88 million followers. And the losers in this are the voters, as they get false information from both sides. But what might have happened if relations had been more cordial? Would the press have correctly commended his achievements or given a more measured review of his failures? Would this have allowed for a more objective view of Trump's presidency and given voters a clearer picture? Instead, we got a culture war, exemplified by Charlottesville, where the press twisted Trump's words into racist rhetoric. If Charlottesville had happened under Biden and he had said, You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Would the left have accused him of racism or seen it as a message of unity? 
but the left-wing press accused Trump of validating white supremacists, ignoring the press conference where he said, Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. If Trump's legal bids fail and Biden is elected as the next president of America, Trump's exit will be marked in the same way as his entry and first term, chaos. But why has it been such a chaotic four years? Those on the right will claim things such as Trump exposed the corruption of the elite and there is a deep state agenda to remove him. While those on the left will claim that Trump is a pathological liar who has attacked the institutions of democracy, damaged international relations and focused on personal gain. But what about those sat in the middle, ardently trying to understand both sides of the debate? Any show of empathy for Trump is met with disdain from those on the left due to his character flaws, and any deep criticism of Trump is met harshly by his supporters as being pro-socialism and giving America away to China. But isn't a more objective autopsy required? If Trump resonated with voters in 2016, should we not attempt to understand why? And while he lost this election, over 70 million voted for him to remain. Why is this? If their opinions and voice are silenced again, will this not just continue the same cycle of division? An objective review of the Trump era will identify the strengths and weaknesses of democracy and its institutions, the role of the free press and social media. And perhaps from here, we can avoid debating complex issues as binary choices. So climate change isn't the end of the planet or communism. Abortion isn't taking away women's rights or murdering babies. And Donald Trump isn't either a hero or Satan. Entrenched partisan positions have exposed other complex issues. The speed of information and truth finding when there's no objective fact but there are clear and obvious patterns from the last four years which can't be ignored. The liberal press has attacked Trump for four years, and Trump has been able to pathologically lie without rebuke from his party or voter base. Social media has gained the divide for profit, and there is a distinct lack of trusted independent journalism. The latter is the most interesting. It is known that lies and conspiracies spread faster than truthful and honest reporting, and a new wave of media is exploiting this. 4chan, 8chan, Twitter and Reddit have become a hotbed of conspiracy theories such that conspiracy itself can become fact in the public eye. For example, the widely disseminated QAnon Pizzagate conspiracy theory held that Hillary Clinton was operating a paedophile ring out of a gimmicky Washington DC pizza parlor called Comet Ping Pong. Trump himself has repeatedly retweeted QAnon affiliated accounts as have others in the Republican Party. And when our political leaders make baseless accusations against each other, how does anyone know what to believe anymore? The hate and distrust peaked at this year's first presidential debate, which descended into name-calling, with both sides struggling with the truth. You were a senator, and You're the, the worst way, president voice... America has ever had. Hey, hey Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in... In 47 months, I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. Did you use the word smart? You graduated 
either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the you question is, the question Supreme is, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, is, I think this we've is ended so unprecedented. The atmosphere following the debate was one of dejection, yet it was an opportunity to reflect. How was America going into an election with two such poor candidates with so much division? And the stage was set for a chaotic election, with many feeling that it would not be decided on the night, but in the court. And yet, after all of this, it might have come down to the method of voting which swung the election. With coronavirus, mail-in votes have been used more than in any previous election. But again, this became another binary issue. Either they are open to fraud or a trusted way for people to vote while the pandemic continues. But is the truth that mail-in votes represented a strategic opportunity to win an election with far greater influence than any candidate or their policy? Did the Biden team recognize that mail-in votes reduce friction and therefore push them to their base knowing this would lead to a higher election turnout? And did the Trump campaign recognize the same and therefore taint them in preparation for possible defeat? This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. When the entire framework of trust is broken, everything is a fight. Now, just over a week after the election, we still don't have a confirmed winner and some states are still counting the votes. Yet while Biden has been predicted to win, it is looking very likely that the election will be decided in the courts. Trump has opened up lawsuits in multiple states and the internet is awash with accusations of fraud. But even navigating these accusations is challenging. Many on the right believe the election is a fraud and will share any allegation as truth. While many on the left are debunking these allegations, yet opinions are not changing. Even if Trump was to concede now, would his base even accept it? Trump gave a voice to those who have been left behind and he rallied support by addressing issues which previous administrations had ignored. He has established a cult status, but this has created a them and us feeling, pitting sides against each other, so much so that personal relationships have broken down. But ultimately, what does the future hold? People have to decide the type of politics they want because there are certain truths we must accept. News will not change because the economics support partisan opinion. Also, social media will not change and the platform owners are fighting complex challenges regarding free speech. The one thing that can change is how leaders handle themselves. Do we want Trump v Biden style division, hate and identity politics? Or do we want McCain versus Obama? where competitors battle hard, but ultimately show a high level of respect. If Biden wins and Trump leaves the White House, how will history remember his four years? And how will Biden bridge the huge divide with voters? In elections, you vote for a leader and their leadership is crucial. Trump was decisive, but also divisive. Can you have one without the other? And could it be the things which earned him the presidency also lost him it? Could the brash and confident tone which galvanised support in 2016 galvanise the opposition in 2020? Or did this all come down to a method of voting which only came to prominence because of the coronavirus? Both parties must decide what they want next. For the GOP, is it more Trump 
or someone who can bridge the divide. The left must consider how their next term works too. Despite the loss, there have been no riots from the Republican base. If Trump would have won, can we be so confident there would not have been riots from the left? In cities across America, businesses were boarding up their windows out of fear. The left should avoid the temptation of demonizing the right and spend more time understanding their position. However much people hate Trump, he resonated with certain people and why should be considered. But the flaws in the political process are in plain sight for all to see. But are voters willing to drop their partisan opinions and look for a better way to work together? Because politicians have created false choices on the most important issues of the day and created false narratives about what the other side believes, creating a them v us. This has, in turn, created a false battle. And this false battle is magnified and exploited by the profit structures of news and social media. If we want a better future, then how does this change? How do we create a true and actionable narrative for the common ground? This show was written and narrated by myself, Peter McCormack, with additional production and sound design by Danny Knowles. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the safest and best place to buy and sell Bitcoin, available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. I am Peter McCormack. Head over to defiance.news where you can download previous shows and watch our films. Also, if you want to learn more about Bitcoin, please head over to our sister podcast, What Bitcoin Did.